In 2003, Robert Kayanj and I went to Panama for a crusade. It's a great crusade. God worked. God moved. Thousands saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. In one service, I've never seen so many demons manifest in my life. There must have been 150, 200 people in the altar area. We cast demons out of all of them at one time. Now, some of you, you've never seen that. You've never seen one manifest, and you think maybe it's just Hollywood. Not. And while we were there, the, the host pastor asked us to pray for a presidential candidate that he was endorsing to be the new president. And we didn't believe that he was going to be the new president. So it was very difficult to pray a prayer of support for a man that wasn't it. So we prayed for the man, but we didn't pray for him to be president. And while we were there, another man that... We had known for some time Omar Terrahos, who was the son of former President Terrahos, Omar Terrahos, that was assassinated during Carter's administration when the Panama Canal went back to Panama. Omar calls us, takes us for a ride. And he said that his brother's wife had become a born-again, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking believer. She had been Catholic. And she was asking us to come to their compound and pray for her husband, Martin Terrahos, who was also a candidate for president. So we went. This was in late 2003. Some of you that were here, you remember when I was there. And when we got there, it was a compound overlooking the city. There, were, there was a wall around it. There were guards with machine guns at the gate, inside the gate, at the front door, all over the compound, like something you would see on TV. They took us in. We met with his wife first, prayed with her, and then they took us into where Martin Terrahos was. And he was running for president. But he was an underdog. There were seven candidates at that time. Can you guess which number he was? He was number seven. An underdog is a person that is expected to lose. An underdog is someone that is not the top dog. An underdog is someone that when he wins, when he comes from behind, when he surprises everybody, there is what they call an upset. In the Bible... Most of those that are players in the Bible 
that God has highlighted for us down through history by putting putting them in the pages of the B-I-B-L-E. Most of the players in the Bible were underdogs. There were childless women and old men and cowards and the youngest sons and the ones that stuttered and the ones that were daydreamers. There were the shepherds, the murderers, the slaves, the prostitutes, the outcast of society. But those are the ones that God chose to put his hand on to bring glory, don't miss this, to bring glory to himself. Not so much to highlight the individual, but to show the world what would happen when he put his hand on the underdog. So the underdog is the one expected to win. So we go in, I'm sorry, the one that is expected not to win, to lose. So in Panama in 2003, we went in to see Martin Terrahos. And to pray for him. And while we were there, there was a strong, overwhelming presence of the Lord. Let me translate. We had a little camp meeting in the room at his compound. And we led Martin Terrahos to the Lord. He gave his heart to Jesus. A Catholic raised as a Catholic But we led him to Jesus. He accepted Jesus into his heart and called him Lord. However, before we led him to Jesus, the spirit of prophecy came on Pastor Robert. And when he began to prophesy, I'm going, help him, Jesus. Oh, God, help him, Jesus. Because Robert looked at him, and many of you know, Robert, he's my twin brother. <clears throat> and he said, he looked at Martin Terrahost and he said, the Lord, and he's very quiet, very soft, no powerful, booming voice, just the Lord just said that you will be the next president of Panama. If you make Jesus the Lord of your life tonight. And I'm thinking, Robert, you didn't say that. (laughs) This man is seventh in the polls. He is the underdog's underdog. There's no way. I hope you're hearing from God. And Robert says it again. You will be the next president of Panama. But you must repent and call on Jesus tonight and make him the Lord of your life. Well, if you were seventh in the polls and somebody looks at you and said, you're going to be president if you give your heart to Jesus, what would you do? Because he wanted to be president. And it seemed like a little thing. Repent in the front of a couple of preachers in his home where there were no cameras, nobody's watching, nobody knows. Are you with me? So he repented, he called on Jesus, gave his heart to the Lord. We prayed over him, we prophesied over him, we declared and decreed, you will be the next president of Panama. We got in the car to leave, and I looked at Robert and I said, do you know what you said? 
He said, what did I say? I said, you just told him he was going to be the next president of Panama. He goes, oh, God, did I say that? He said, no, I, I didn't say I said, Robert, that's what you said. He goes, he will be the next president. Oh, did I really say that? I said, Robert, you just told the man that if he gave his heart to Jesus, he would be the next president. He goes, oh, surely I didn't say that. I said, yes, you did. He will be the next president of Panama, he said. We did this three or four times. And at that time, we went back to the hotel. We were supposed to be there a few more days. And a hurricane started brewing off the coast. Long story short, we needed to get out. We were flying together. I got a flight and got out, of, got out and went to Miami. Before he did, he was there another 24 hours. He couldn't get out. But I got out. He was stuck there with the underdog. And he was seventh in the polls. And believe it or not, if you could go lower than seventh, his points began to drop over the next 24, 48 hours. We kept close tabs over the next week. I got out that day. Robert got out about 24 hours later. He came to Miami. We talked. We prayed. And over the next six or seven weeks, we watched him in the polls. For two or three weeks, nothing happened except for his points went down. But after about three weeks, the number one contender, if I remember, I may have all the exact details inaccurate because it's been a few years. It was 2003 to be elected in 2004. But after just about three or four weeks, the number one contender, I think he was the one that was having an affair. Word got out and boom, he dropped off. A few days later, there was another one that was number two, and he moved to number one. And all of a sudden, something happened. There was some uh, corruption. There was a problem with finances, and his wife was found leaving the country with a briefcase full of hundreds of thousands of dollars, and something was going on with them, and boom, he dropped off. And over the next two or three weeks, Martin Therahost moved from number seven to number six to number five to number four to number three. And the underdog was elected president of Panama. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said the underdog who gave his heart to the Lord in the compound that night was elected as president of Panama. In 2004, we were invited back to the inauguration. Some of you will remember Pastor Robert and I went together. We were invited to pray at the Capitol. We prayed for the Senate. We prayed for the, the leaders in Parliament. We went to his house. We prayed for him. And then we went to the inauguration itself. And while we were at the inauguration, they split us up. Robert was sitting on the left side of the stage and they actually had, had us sitting next to each other. I went in and I was sitting next to Jesse Jackson. And then they moved me to the other side and put me next to the minister from Barbados a couple of rows in front of Colin Powell. 
every political president, ambassador, king from around the world was there. I met all kind of leaders. I was sitting next to the, to the minister from Amb- or the ambassador, the minister from uh, Barbados. And when he came and sat next to me, he began to tell me who he was and what all he had done and everything. Just started talking. And I'm just going, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh, okay. And then finally, after about 20 minutes of telling me his story, he said, well, who are you? <laughs> and he was the minister from Barbados. So I said, well, I'm the minister from Tennessee. He said, does every state send a minister? I said, I don't think so. (laughs) What I wanted to say is this man's president because we went to his house and prayed for him and prophesied and God moved him from the number seven underdog position to be the president of Panama. And he was. But down through history, there have been a lot of underdogs biblically that have been moved to the top spot. Somebody say underdog. underdog. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, it says, Instead, God chose the things that the world considers foolish. Somebody say foolish things. God chose foolish things in order to shame or confound those that think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless To shame those who are powerful. Somebody say, there's a shift going on. God God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. Let me say that again. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. And used them to bring nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. He's God. He's not going to let anybody have His glory. But He will take His finger and put His finger on an underdog that the world has already thrown away as a castaway and cast out and given up on and said there's no hope and nobody can use them because they are worthless. He can put His finger on that one and shift them where the world is just going, what just happened? What just happened? How did Martin Terrahos get to be president? What just happened? What can happen? What can happen does happen when God gets involved. Everything big starts with something small. Everything big starts with a seed. Somebody say underdog. Second Corinthians 4 verse 7 through 9 talks about earthen vessels. Now watch this. This is very important. This is key to where we're going to end up in a few minutes. But we have this treasure, somebody say treasure, in jars of clay, clay vessels, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, 
but we are not destroyed. Could I tell you there may be a pressing that is coming to the body of Christ, but we will not be crushed. There may be perplexity. We may scratch our head and say, now, God, what are you doing? I, I, know, there's, I know there's tribulation coming. I know there's persecution. But what are you doing, God? I'm pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I may be perplexed, but I will not be in despair. I may tell you there is persecution coming to the kingdom of God. There is persecution coming to the earth. Don't shout me down. There is persecution coming, but we will not be abandoned. Could I just insert a little commercial right here? My granddaddy used to say it like this. Bless God, everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. I need to tell somebody right now, egg bar, everything is going to be all right. I don't care what happens. I don't care what pressing comes. I don't care what persecution comes. Everything is going to be all right. I read the last page and we win. We may be persecuted, but we will not be abandoned. We may be struck down, but we will not be destroyed. We win. So clay vessels, earthen vessels, yes, we are made from the dust of the earth. But we are overcomers through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Get that in your spirit. No matter what happens, we are overcomers. No matter what you face, we are overcomers. No matter what happens in the earth, we are overcomers. No matter what fear tries to creep in, we are overcomers. Through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we are overcomers. Hallelujah. So just a couple of things about underdogs I want you to get in your spirit. Number one, the underdog does not look at the circumstances. Stop looking at the circumstances. Stop listening to what they say. Stop looking at your ability. Stop looking at the size of the giant that is opposing you. Stop that foolishness. You say, oh, but pastor, that's, that's reality. That's fact. That's what I see. Well, live in fact if you want to. I'm going to live in faith. <laughs> Whose report will you believe? We shall, I said we shall, believe the report of the Lord. So the underdog does not look at the circumstances. Scripture, please, I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Oh, I need to read it one more time. My grace is all you need. Lift your hand and say, I'm covered by His grace. I'm covered by His grace. I'm covered by His grace. As the shift takes place, as the persecution comes, as the pressing in comes, as the doubt and the fear tries to come and intimidate you, you just need to remember, I'm an overcomer. 
and my grace, God's grace, is all I need. His grace is all I need. Then he said, my power works best in weakness. I am weak, but he is strong. <laughs> if I could sing, I would sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. I think I'm in G. The Bible tells me so. When I am weak, he is strong so that the power of Christ can work in me. I wish I had time to preach to you about some of the underdogs in the Bible. I would tell you about Abraham. He was an underdog. He was 100 years old. God had promised he was going to have a nation, many nations, many sons, many daughters. He was 100 before he had the first child. An underdog. Everybody said it won't ever happen. He couldn't have any children when he was in his 30s. Sarah couldn't bear children when they were in their 30s or in their 40s or in their 50s or in their 60s. Now you're thinking, well, it won't ever happen. But they got into their 70s, still no baby. In their 80s, no baby. In their 90s, no baby. Well, Sarah was 90. He was 100. And the promise came. Underdog. I wish I had time to tell you about Esther who was placed in the kingdom for such a time as this. I wish I had the time to tell you about David. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. But he was a man after God's own heart. I wish I could tell you about Daniel. They threw him in the lion's den. Most people were going, he's done. He's done. But the next morning, the king went down and said, Oh, Daniel, did your God, whom you continually serve, did he deliver you from the mouth of the lion? And I can hear Daniel say, Underdog rises again. Oh, somebody shout, The underdog rises again. I wish I had time to tell you about Joseph. He was, the, he was his father's favorite. He gave him a coat of many colors. I don't have time to tell you, but his brothers hated him, so they sold him into slavery. They went and told their dad that a lion or a, a bear or an animal, some kind of animal must have killed him. Here, isn't this his coat? And they put blood on it, and they deceived their own father because they hated him so much. Somebody shout, underdog. He was sold into slavery. He was put in the pit. Then they took him and sold him into slavery. Then he went to the palace. He went to Potiphar's house. Then he found himself in prison. But then he became prime minister. The underdog rose to the top. I don't have time to tell you about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't have to tell you the time to tell you about when God, when they were placed in the fiery furnace and they were going to be burned up. And the king looked in and said, I thought we put three men in there, but I see four. And one of them looks like the son of the living God. And they came out and did not even smell like smoke. These were all underdogs that overcame through the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Let me tell you another one about underdogs. Underdog doesn't wait for everything to make sense. Some of you, you've got to figure it out. You've got to have a blueprint. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a voice from heaven. You've got to have an email from God. You've got to have a download that says, this is it, this is it, this is it. But let me tell you, when God speaks to you, it's going to be bigger than you and it won't make sense. 
when God told me to, to sow, Pastor Reed and I, before we moved back to Chattanooga, when God, we had just bought a brand new 2000 Suburban. It listed for $43,000. I owed $33,000 on it, and God said, I want you to give that away to this man over here in ministry. I didn't, I didn't hesitate. I did go and say, well, this is what the Lord has spoke to me, Reed. I hope you're okay with this. She was playing the piano. She looked back at me and she said, that's okay. This ring that you gave me the other day, you paid $5,000 for. I'm supposed to give it to the man's wife. I said, give it. So a $43,000 Suburban and a $5,000 ring, $48,000, boom, just like that. We sowed it into the kingdom. But it was the seed when we got this building. It was the seed. God, this is the seed. This is the harvest off of the seed you sowed. In 2000 less than two years later a $48,000 seed turned into at that time a five million dollar harvest I'll sow that seed for that harvest any day now it's worth closer to 10 but when I came here I don't have time to tell you the story, but when I came here and God gave us this building, we did not qualify. I went all over town, and this is the way I prayed. God, I'm going to find a building, and I'm not going to worry about money. Money's not an object, and I know I can't fail. So where's the building you want me to have? You're sitting in it. So everything won't make sense for the underdog. Scripture, please. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God said, My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It's going to make sense. Did you hear that? When God speaks to you, it may not make sense. Everything won't always make sense. But the underdog doesn't wait for it to make sense. You want another one? Here's another one. God is for the underdog. I already told you, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. God is for the underdog. Romans 8, 31. And if God is for us, tell me who can be against me. If God be for us, who? Can you play that song? Do you know that song? If God be for me, tell me who in the world can be against me. I will not fear. I will not fear. I will not fear. Y'all don't know that song. It's okay. But I'm telling you, if God be for you, who can be it? You didn't hear me. I said, if God, the creator of heavens and the earth, the one that spoke nothing because there was nothing to speak anybody to, and he stepped out on nothing because there was nothing to step out on, and he said, let there be that God. If that God is for you, who can be against you? God is for the underdog. Judges 6. 
Here's where I'm going today. Judges chapter 6. Everybody say Gideon. Gideon was an underdog. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash. The word Joash, Joash was Gideon's father. And the name, the word Joash means God has given. So just put that in your notes. So the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, which belonged to God has given, of the clan of Abizar. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now let me pause right there and tell you what's going on. The Lord had anointed them and sent them to take over the land, to drive out the enemies, and to give them a new land. But some of the enemies, they did not drive out. They did not obey the Lord. They let some of them stay. Wrong thing to do. When God tells you to do something, do it. Just do it. And so they were living in the land with the Midianites, the Amorites, the Philistines. They were all still there, and they were their enemies, and they were fighting. And in this particular era, this particular time in history, in in Israeli history, they were fighting for their lives. They were making places in the, in the, in the mountains. They were put, making dens and finding caves, and they were living there. And everything that they would plant, they would plant a crop, and the Midianites would come and devour it. And they would bring, the Bible says they would bring so many people, it was like locusts. And they would come and they would devour the crops and they would take them away. And they would take away the sheep and they would take away the herds and they would take their camels. And Israel was just barely existing. So it was so bad that it, when this particular scripture took place, Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites because if they knew he was threshing what little wheat they had they would come and steal it from them and take it from there and so while he was doing that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said mighty hero the Lord is with you now how many of you if the Lord appeared to you, if an angel appeared to you and said to you, mighty hero, the Lord is with you, how would you feel? How would you feel? Would you feel pretty good? Would you feel bold? Even if you were living in poverty, fighting for your life, hiding to do your job just to get a little bit of food for the family, for the rest of the family for the next day, and the angel shows up, well, let's see what happens. And by the way, the name Gideon means great destroyer. Write that in your notes. Joash means God has given. And Gideon's name means great destroyer. So the angel appeared and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with me, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? He wasn't happy, was he? 
that little one word of encouragement didn't seem to get it for him, did it? Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have. Now, if that had been some of us, we would have probably said, Me? What strength are you talking about? But he had just gotten a word. You're a hero. You're a mighty warrior. You're a mighty man of God. My anointing is on you. He didn't feel anointed. He didn't feel victorious. He didn't feel like a champion. He didn't feel like a hero. And he was acting like most of us. We go on our feelings. When are we as the body of Christ going to stop looking at the circumstances, going on our feelings, and not trusting the word of God in faith? What did I just say? Repeat it in your mind. What did I just say? Repeat it in your mind. You repeat it out loud if you want to. What did I just say? Say it. I'm not taking an offering. You don't have to raise your hand. I will, though. We, we, we moved right through that earlier, so we're going to receive one before we leave. <laughs> but what did I say? What did I say? Don't go by your feelings. Go by faith. You're going to need that as this shift takes place. There's a time coming you can't go by the circumstances. There's a time coming you can't look at the situation. You can't go by how you feel. You can't let fear overtake you. So today I declare to you, remnant people, you are heroes. You are anointed. You are warriors. You are part of the remnant of God. You are mighty men and women of valor. Great is the Lord in your life. He has saved you and raised you up for such a time as this. So the Lord said to him, go with the strength you have. And go rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you, God said to Gideon. Remember, his name means destroyer great destroyer God said I'm sending you but now listen to Gideon but Lord Gideon replied how can I rescue Israel my clan my family the, the folks that are part of me and I'm a part of them we are the underdogs we are the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh See, he had forgotten where he came from. Because when Joseph went to Israel, he had two sons. He named one of them Ephraim, which means God has given me double fruit in this land. And he named the other one Manasseh. Oh, you remember. He named the other one Manasseh, which means God has caused me to forget all of my troubles and all of my problems and my father's house 
and what they did to me and how they put me in a pit and sold me into slavery and how I found myself in the prison. I'm naming my son Manasseh, which God has caused me to forget all of my trouble and forget all of my problems. See, when he's talking to the Lord, he forgot that. He said, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe. Oh, yeah, I forgot about all those things that God delivered me from. And then he said this, not only I am our tribe, our clan is the weakest, but he said, how can I go? Because I am the least in my entire family. Can't you just see him, his head down? He's defeated. He's down at the wine press getting the, getting the grain ready. They're poor, they're broke, they're busted, disgusted, they're frustrated, they're angry, they're weak, they're hungry, they're tired, they're hiding for their lives. And he says, how can I save Israel? How can you send me? Because my family are underdogs, but I am the least of the least underdog. Anybody ever felt that way? Let me just see if I'm talking to the right crowd. Any of you, have you ever felt like you were an underdog? Like you were the least? See, I grew up in a small town. And my dad was a chiropractor. And in those days, you know what they call chiropractors, don't you? What? What? Oh, quacks. Uh-huh. Yeah. And... and and don't be fooled. Kids at school didn't mind calling me a quack. And to, and to make matters worse, I went to the Pentecostal church. So my dad was a quack, and I was a holy roller. See, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. As an 8-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, 16-year-old kid, hearing that all of my life going through school, it, those were not compliments. They were not trying to build me up. <laughs> but what they didn't know was when I went to the Pentecostal church, God put his finger on me. He put his hand on me. The anointing of the Holy Ghost came on me. And I didn't care what they called me. I knew who I was. I didn't care what somebody said. I knew who was living in me. I didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't care. And I don't care today. Call me what you want to call me. It doesn't change who I am. I am a child of the King. I'm a son of the Most High. The Holy Ghost is flowing in me. So Gideon said, I'm the least in my family. My family is the least, but I'm the least of them. I'm the underdog. And the Lord said to him, Gideon, mighty destroyer, hero, the one I've touched, the one I've anointed, the one I'm sending to destroy the Midianites, he said, I will be with you. 
what else do you need? If God is for you, who can be against you? And God just told him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites. Don't miss this. You will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. The underdog is going to rise again. So Gideon goes to battle. He gathers the troops. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. Go in and read it in Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 7. Read it today. Read it tonight. Just before he went, he has this big army. He had gathered some troops. Now, before he got, gathered them, some of them were against him. I don't have time to go there. But anyway, they came. So he gathered 32,000. Somebody say, woohoo! An army of 32,000 is a good number. You would think if you had 32,000, you could beat anybody. But he said that the camels of the Midianites... They couldn't even number them, there were so many. So I don't know how many they had, but that's a lot. That's a lot of humpbacks. And God said to Gideon with his 32,000, you got too many. Now if I'd been Gideon, I would have go, what you mean? What you talking about? My backup. These are mighty warriors. They're mighty destroyers. They're on my side. God said, you got too many. He said, tell everybody that's fearful and afraid, go home. Look at your neighbor and say, go home. Just tell them, if you're fearful and afraid, go home. If you don't want to be part of the remnant, go home. If you don't believe God's called you and anointed you, go home. Tell them. There's not many preachers that do that. There's not many preachers that tell them, go home. Just go home. Gideon was a preacher of God. He said, if you're afraid, go home. Because we're fixing to fight. So 22,000 of his 32,000 went home. You know the story. That left him 10,000. So he's thinking, I got 10,000. 10,000 warriors, we still take them. God said, you still got too many. He said, take them to the water and watch them drink. See, it does matter where you go and what you drink and how you drink. I don't, I don't even have time to preach that today. But you just read into that. So he took him down to the brook. He said, all right, y'all drink, 10,000 of you. And those who get down and just lap it up, send them home. But the ones that bring it up and cup it with their hands, set those aside. All of you right now, you're thinking, how do I drink? <laughs> the ones that just got down and lapped it up in the brook sent them home. 9,700 of the 10,000. Go home, boys. He had 300 left. 300. 100 for the Father, 100 for the Son, and 100 for the Holy Ghost. And so they get ready to go into battle. They're going to fight the Midianites. And they had, they had come to the valley. They had filled the area. Their tents were there, their camels, all of their animals, their livestock. They were there. They were ready to fight to take on Gideon and his crowd. 
And God said, take one and go down there and listen in. So he went down to the camp at night, slipped in, listened to what they were saying. And this is very powerful. Because he still probably had some fear. He went from 32,000 to 300. His church crowd got a little bit smaller. You know, see, the church today in America is all about numbers. How many can we get? You know, supposedly, the more there are, the better. The bigger, the better. Not with God. The Bible says one puts a thousand to flight. Two puts 10,000 to flight. He had 300. So how many thousands can he put to flight? You do the math. But Gideon goes down to the camp. He listens. And he hears two Midianites talking. He overhears them. And one of them says, I had a dream. And I dreamed that a, a, roll, a, roll, a big loaf of bread came in and destroyed our tent and knocked it down and destroyed everything. The other one says... That was Gideon and the sword of the Lord. And they're all coming to destroy us. Gideon hears this. So now he knows the Midianites are afraid of him, the great destroyer, and the sword of the Lord. So he got a, he got a panoramic sneak preview of the movie. That's what he got. So he goes back and he gets his 300. He said, here's what we're going to do. He gave all of them a trumpet. He gave all of them a glass jar, a pitcher, and he put a flame in it. The first verse we read today, we talked about what? Earthen vessels. We are clay vessels, earthen vessels, made from the dust of the earth, fired by the Holy Ghost so that he can pour in us and we can pour out his power, his anointing wherever we go. So Gideon gives all 300 a jar or a pitcher with a flame in it and a trumpet. What weapons they had. No, no swords, no machine guns, no tanks, no bombers. They didn't have any of the modern technology for war. They had a horn. They were going to blow that horn. And they had a jar and a flame. And they surrounded them, 100 on one side, 100 on the other side, and the 100 on the other side. And Gideon says, you watch me, you listen for me. And when I give the cue, I want you to shout out as loud as you can, blow the trumpet, and then shout out, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. That's all he did. 300, how many? How many? 300. 31,000. I, I can't do math that fast. 32,000 he had. All of them went home but 300. So what's that? 31,700? They all went home. He had 300. And they shout. They shout. They shout. The sword of the Lord and Gideon. And they broke the pitcher and the light and the flame lit up. And the Midianites begin to kill each other. They begin to defeat each other. And then they begin to run. They begin to leave. And they left. And they pursued after them. And they captured the princes of, of Zeb and Oreb. They, they captured them. They captured others. They brought them back. They cut off their head. They put them to death. They won the victory. The underdog won the victory. 
I need to tell you today, we may be the underdog. We may be looked down on. They may not know who we are. They may not know what we can do. But when the Lord touches you, when the anointing touches you, you become a hero, a mighty man or mighty woman of valor. You become a great destroyer. From Manasseh, he said, where God has caused me to forget all my troubles. I know there's some folks to get today. You've had troubles. You've had pain. You've been disheartened. You've been frustrated. You've walked in fear. You've been lied on. You've been set back. You've been broke. You may be broke now. I've been broke many times, but listen carefully. I've never, don't miss this. I've been broke, but I've never been poor. There's a difference between being broke and being poor. You can be broke, but you're not poor. The anointing of the Lord is in you. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to get a, a thank God offering in your hand. Get your tithes in your hand. We're going to have a water baptism service in just a few moments. They're ready back there. They're going to put it on the screen in a few minutes for us. We're going to worship the Lord. And when we bring our offerings, our gifts, our tithe, or if you do it online, you can do it online. You can use an envelope in the seat pocket in front of you. You can text to the number on the screen, 423-200-4470. As a matter of fact, we didn't welcome guests or anything today. We just flowed. So if you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here. We thank you for being here today. And, and that's the thing about us. We try to flow. We try to be sensitive to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit interrupted this service earlier, so we just move right on through welcoming the guests and doing the announcements and tithe and offerings. So we're going to do that now. And then I want to pray for you before we go today. But we're in a, we are in an exciting place in the earth. Amen. See, a few of you, a few of you get it. We're, we're in an exciting place. When you listen to the news, when you see what's going on, when you hear about wars, you hear about the war in Ukraine. Natasha is from Ukraine. She has family there. We've prayed for her family. When you hear about China is about to come down on Taiwan early this week, they had troops and ships. They had 11 ships. They had aircraft carriers, fighters all around. They're saying that they're going to come down on Taiwan. That will affect the whole world. When you hear in the news that within the next few years, all of us will be driving electric cars. That's what they're telling us. That's what they're trying to force on us. But did you know that it takes more gas and coal and energy to create the electricity and it's not as green as they say it is. It takes more to get there. Do some research. But if they can get everybody an electric car, they say that, you know, if they need to just cut you off and leave you on the side of the road, they can, they'll disable the vehicle, leave you there. And you can't even, you can't even hardly go to Atlanta and back on one charge. 
then where are you going to charge? I don't even have time to talk about that. <clears throat> what I'm trying to tell you is what I said earlier, what the prophetic word was today. There's a shift in the earth. It's in the book. It's prophetic. You can read it. You can read Daniel and Revelation. You can read Ezekiel. You can see the prophecies. You can see what's coming. You can see in Joel 2.28 and, and, and Acts 2 where he said in the last days, I'm going to pour out of my spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters to prophesy. Old men, will see dream, old men will see visions, young men will see dreams. And on my servants and handmaidens, I will pour out of my spirit. There is a revival coming in the earth. It's already started in some places. The, the shift has already begun. We are moving from the dispensation of grace to the dispensation of the end times theologically. We are in the transition now. So when you read all these things, it can be very troubling in the natural. But if you read Matthew 24, and he gave a list of the things the disciples said, Lord, how will we know the end? Jesus said, here's a list. And there's a whole list in Matthew 24. He talks about famines and earthquakes and pestilence and talks about wars and rumors of wars. Talks about many being offended. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not offended. And I'm going to get over it if I get offended. Because that spirit has been released in the earth. When, when you read Matthew 24 and that whole list of things, when you get down to the bottom, here's what Jesus said. All these things must come to pass. But then he said, see that you are not troubled. See that you're not troubled. So shake it off. Don't be troubled. Be excited because you are a part of what God is doing in the earth and what's going to be a part of the last day revival. You're part of the remnant. So be excited. The underdog is rising. God takes the foolish things and confounds the wise. I told you earlier today, the, the, the powers to be on the planet, their mind is going to be blown when they begin to see what God is doing in the earth. It's amazing. It's amazing. And we get to watch it. We get to be a part. But as the prophecy was given today by Dr. Shirley, you may be required to do more, to move out of your comfort zone, so get ready, get ready, get ready. Be bold, great destroyer. Be bold, mighty warrior. Be bold, hero of God. Because here's what the Lord says. I am with you. Does anybody sense in your spirit, and maybe you have been for weeks or months, just an unsettled you don't know what's happening. There's nothing really going on maybe that's, that you need to be troubled about. But in your spirit, you're just unsettled. Am I talking to anybody? See that you're not troubled. For these things must come to pass. The end is not yet. But these are exciting times. Because I did read the last page. And it says on the last page... The leaves on the trees are for the healing of the nations. And there's a time coming when there'll be, be no more death and no more dying, no more pain, no more sorrow. Because the Messiah is coming back for us. Amen.